and welcome back to another great episode of Security Hall Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Danny Caballero. And today I am proud to bring you a true authentic story from Nasrullah John Safi, an Afghan interpreter who has written an amazing book about his experience in Afghanistan, keeping knuckleheads like myself uh, safe by providing us with that vital cultural support and language support and being the true boots on the ground individual guiding us through his country. John, thank you for joining us, brother. I, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am. Uh, this book needs to be sold out, needs to be on the bestsellers list. Uh, title of the book is Get the Turp Up Here, War as an Interpreter to U.S. Forces in Afghanistan. I, I am excited and I cannot wait. Uh, hopefully we can get this made as a Netflix movie. I, I'm, I'm thinking we can get this done. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, finger crossed. And actually, uh, there is one of the reviews in my book is that like it has to be a movie. It has to be a movie. And I'm yeah. hoping so. I mean, we can make it. You know, we can turn oh, yeah. it into a movie at some point. There's a hope. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a dream. <laughs> yeah, it's it, uh, like like I was telling you before we started. Um, since everything's gone down in Afghanistan. Everybody that has served, whether it was for a few months or multiple rotations, the number one thing that hit our hearts and our mind was, can we figure out how to get our interpreters back? Can we figure out how to get our brothers back? How are we going to manage to do this? And some of us, some of our, our great, wonderful brothers out there were able to do just that. They were able to reach out there and find ways to support and facilitate uh, and do some amazing things. Uh, but for a vast majority of us, our hearts and our minds were completely, constantly in turmoil, waiting to find out what was happening, who was going to make it out of there. And that just goes to show you that the impact that you have had and your brothers and everybody who's supported us throughout these past 21 years, uh, our interpreters have saved lives, they have guided us through the culture and have brought a lot of us back home because they provided us with not just language skills, but with vital understanding of the culture and the people. And I am grateful for you for being here today. So please, I got to stop talking and let you tell your story. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's truly an honor to be here. And uh, share my story with you and your audience. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, my name is Nasirullah John Safi. John is my American name picked by the very first unit that I started working with at the end of 2008. And as you know, like, you know, they always pick American names to, to sound cool and it sounds a lot easier. So I, in a sense that I go by John and I kind of like it, you know, a lot of people don't even know my new name. <laughs> yeah, but that's the fact. Like, I mean, like a lot of people that I used to work with, they don't even know my real name. And <laughs> it was kind of like, it was funny. It was kind of when my first school came out and it had, you know, it has my, in my full name, Nasero Lastafi. I yeah. got a bunch of calls and messages like, who the hell is this guy? Like, we never, <laughs> we never know him. We never work with him. <laughs> my bad yeah. is my, yeah. So <laughs> I go by John and, um, I was born and, and grew up, uh, in Afghanistan and, and astronaut Afghanistan. 
uh, in a very uh, small and tiny village deep in the Hindukash mountains. Um, under the Taliban regime, under the fatality and jail atrocities, life wasn't easy. I mean, quite honestly, it wasn't easy. It was hard. Uh, I grew up in a place where, you know, I couldn't speak about English. You know, English considered, you know, it was considered a different language. You know, the, the village, the, the community was mostly dominated by uh, religious extremists. So somehow, you know, I started, wanted to learn English and seeing American soldiers coming to schools and uh, trying to talk to them and I couldn't. And uh, it was uh, it was a place where we couldn't find somebody who could speak English. If they did, you know, nobody wanted to talk about it because they could get in trouble. They could uh, lose their lives. And, as well as their family lives. Uh, but somehow, you know, we finally found somebody and we agreed. I talk about it in details in my first book. And uh, so I took, you know, some English classes with him. He was a farmer. Uh, yeah, you know, he didn't know much about English, but he did, you know, he did know a little <laughs> bit and was able to teach me a lot of it. I was too young. I was a little kid. And, um, uh, at the end of 2008, I uh, became a U.S. military interpreter and culture advisor when I was only 15. I was, uh, was, was still young. Holy cow. I started working. Yeah, I was pretty young. 15? Yes. Brother, that, that, <laughs> that is I nuts. Know, <laughs> I know. I know. Like, you know, the people, the, the very first people that I started working with uh, just still tell me, like, you know, a lot of things like, hey. We made you a man, and we made you the person who you are. Because I remember the 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 day you started working with us, you were pretty young. You were only fifteen, probably younger than fifteen. Yeah. And they're still laughing at me when we're talking about certain things, you know, like those <laughs> battle memories and those combat memories. And having met yeah. one of me, like, oh, you were a little crybaby because you were too young. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I was fifteen yeah. years old, man, in I was war. Like, I was, I was too- and I go, what's too young? I know it's 15, but I'm no longer 15, okay? Even I'm trying to tell him, like, I'm so 15, but you can tell yeah. him that. Yeah. Yeah, and I would imagine, um, I, w- I would like to think, and I-, I hope this is the case, at 15, once your your soldiers that you're working with find out you're 15, it becomes more of a, like, protect the protector mentality of, like, okay, he's he's here to protect us in the fact that he's an interpreter, but he's a kid. We have to make sure that we're not exposing him to, to too much. And we're, we're trying to like keep him safe. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. My story, my journey as an interpreter, that's how we started with the first unit, the very first people that I started working with. And that's exactly what happened because I was very young. My English wasn't strong enough, like not very good. As you know, you know, with the, the weird American accents and dialects, <laughs> and I didn't understand for a little while. And this, I was very young. And I remember, like, one of our uh, platoon sergeants, uh, Kevin Devine, uh, he said, well, you know, we're going to teach you. Uh, I know you're young. Uh, we're going to help you. Uh, and you don't have to worry about anything. And that's exactly what happened. They were not just my brothers and sisters in arms. They became my protectors, and I'm like, you know, all like me helping and they were started helping me how to be somebody yeah. who could help them. So that's exactly what happened. And that's how it started. That's that's like 
that's a true testament of um of what soldiers truly uh are capable of uh, everybody focuses on lethality and the the all the bad aspects of the job but at heart um that there's a lot of love and care especially when you're you're in a combat zone and they, a 15 year old kid comes up and is like i'm here to be your interpreter <laughs> you know that's you know you know you mentioned about loving the compassion and the bond and brotherhood that we have created throughout those years and um, i always talk to people about it, it you know the, the the purest love that you can find it's it's the only that you know it's the only love and brotherhood and, and bond that's you know, that's something you can find in, in the combat. And I ended yeah. up working at Combat Outpost Monty, as the name it says, for self combat. And I spent more than seven years and, uh, we were so close, you know, that brotherhood, that memories that we have created throughout the years yeah. and, uh, you know, being part of each and every single missions and operations, you know, getting shot at in every single ambushes, as you know, better than I yeah. do. Uh, we were so close and, uh, uh, at the end of the deployment, like you said, you know, every unit at the end of the year, at the end of six months or nine months, and it depends. And at the end of the year, you would have picked their stuff and come home and I was still there. You know, I yeah. always miss these guys. I absolutely miss them. And I was just part of, like, we were a family. I was part of them. And, uh, the first, you know, the very first people that I started working with, you know, I basically grew up with them and you're spending a whole year, uh, with somebody with you know with a group of people that you call them family you call them brother and sisters it's very hard to to see them coming home and you're still there uh i was you know we were quite emotional i was uh i went to the helicopter landing zone or they call it hlz mm-hmm. stayed for hours you know and they finally left around two o'clock because you know it was pretty it, it was hard for helicopters to land during the daylight so in the left you know it was there it was quite emotional, you know. I never forget those memories. I never forget the night that they left and I was still there. So yeah. the brotherhood, the bond is just indestructible and it's unforgettable. And, yeah, and in the absolutely. military, you know, they know that. Yeah, uh, I can't I can't even imagine that, especially in the earlier rotations where you were all you had for security, for comfort, for support. And those in those outposts, like you were by yourselves. You were out there isolated and you spent months and months. And then it's like, we we gotta go. Like, we gotta go, John. And it's like and then a new crew comes in and now you have to take care of them. And then the next one comes in. And how many times or did you stay in the same area in Afghanistan or did you um end up going out to the north and the east or how did that work out so you know it's i don't know but sadly most of my uh most of my times and most of those years were spent in the combat uh Mm -hmm. you know i've been to so many other places but they're all operations they're all missions you know we had to go after guys and we had to do stuff you know but uh most of my years working as an interpreter uh, were spent in the combat in the battle yep. zone. Uh, so most of my time spent at combat out was Monty, uh, basically my second home where I grew up. Um, uh, and I kind of like, you know, traveled back and forth, but it was mostly combat experience. Yeah. And 
and that's like that's where I got shot, and that's like you know where I got wounded too. So you know, it's mostly oh, it was mostly combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot happened. It's a lot happened, but it was mostly <laughs> combat. And I yeah. was, you know, I, I was sort of adapted to that environment. You know, I conditioned to that environment after spending time with soldiers and yeah. you know uh, because we we're a war family, and so it was mostly combat. Yeah, I mean that, and that's absolutely. Um, where they need you. And, um, tell me, like, take me through that journey of as a 15 year old boy and then going year after year and evolving. And, and now you're, you're an adult and you've been doing this for so long. Like at, at, at what point where you're like, holy cow, like, this is, this is all I've, this is it. This is all I've ever known. Like I, like holy cow <laughs> yeah i mean i you know i think about it i go back and i think about upon those days nowadays and i said like holy moly like you know here i am and you know where i started and uh when i was a very young kid you know i never thought about the risk you know not just for myself you mm-hmm. know the risk that my family had to endure the danger that my family had to endure uh because i never thought about it and then, like, you know, you know, each year passes and each year passes and each months and weeks. And then I was, you know, started realizing, like, you know, uh, I know it is it's so much fun and to be with the brother and sisters and to support them during the war against terror. You know, the mission that everybody endorsed uh, in mm-hmm. 2001, you know, the mission of peace and prosperity and, and reconstruction. You know, that's what everybody believed in. That's what we believe. But, you know, I started realizing, like, I know because in there, you know, things are started, you know, bad things started happening to my family. Uh, I got shot and then my, one of my oldest brothers, uh, was struck by ID and oh. still carry more than 20 shrapnels in his body and, and suffer from serious PTSD mm-hmm. and in, in marks and scars, uh, all over his body and, lost family members, you know, and then, you know, one of my sisters got shot. So there were, you know, there, there was so much going on with my family. And then I was realizing like, wow, this is, you know, this is becoming very, very risky, but you know, I had no other options. So I couldn't quit because I was the main target. You know, what, you know, what would I have done if I quit? You know, I could have get killed. I could have get, you know, basically kidnapped and cut into small pieces. That's how the, told us you know yeah. that's what the bad guys will do to us if you know that's what they were going after our family and that's what they're going after my family uh you know but now it's kind of like wow like you know i spent those years in combat and like in a place where i had to wake up not to like or learn to rocketic to motoritics yeah. like kind of daily basis every day and you know but now i think about it it's kind of like Oh my gosh, it was scary. But back then, I never thought about it. And it's no, funny, it, like back then, like, it's survival. Back then, you can't focus and really, really let it set in. Like you can't process yes. it. It's just, it's the same thing for us. We're we're you're in the fight. You don't got time to sit down and think about it. But unlike us, we even if we go back to back to back, we're still rotating out. We're still kind of down regulating. For you, you're in this every day, 
every single day and there's no escape. It's just keeping the faith and you got to stay in that mentality of like, Hey, I'm in this. We, it's, it's going to get better. I don't know when, but at some point it's going to get better. Like that's a whole different, whole different set of uh, issues to work through. And I, I can only imagine, you know, cause you're not going home every night. You're only going no. there on pass or Once taking leave. And then, yeah. Yeah. But for me, it was kind of different too. Like, even though I wanted to go home and I wanted to see my pa- you know, my family, I wanted to see my parents, but my parents have been suffering from uh, unknown chronic diseases and I wanted to help them. And it's funny, like when I started working as an interpreter, my parents didn't know the time that I went to school. The morning that I went to work for the Americans. No, it's not like they didn't want me to, but they had bigger dreams for me. Yeah. Either to become an engineer or a medical doctor because they both have been sick. And I was like, okay, I'm chasing my dreams. But, you know, at the end of 2008, I went to work in the time that I went to school. And that's, yeah. I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to school. I really wanted to go see them. I miss them so bad, but there was no way I could go visit them. Uh, every day or every week or every month because we were at Combat Outpost Monty miles away from where I lived. My family lived in a different city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when, when I lost, you know, when I lost, you know, when I lost family members, I got shot. I lost family members. My brother, uh, was seriously injured, uh, in IED. And, and then I, one of my sister got shot. So no way that I could go visit home. No yeah. way. Like, I really wanted to go, but, you know, I missed everybody so bad, but it was so risky. It was so dangerous. And it wasn't just dangerous for me. It wasn't just, just dangerous for me, but I could have put other people at risk as well. Because, exactly. You know, because of me going like, oh my gosh, I have to stay home. And when, when it, like, I wasn't able to join a uh, funeral to my uh, brother-in-law and his seven-year-old son. They were both murdered, uh, you know, brutally killed. Yeah. And uh, it was the same thing for my brother who was shot. Who was seriously injured and ended up uh, in the hospital was there for months and I wasn't able to see him. It was the same thing for my sister. One of my sisters was shot multiple times and endured, you know, received more than three surgeries and we thought she was gone. And I wasn't able to see her because yeah. I really wanted to go see her. I was sick and the rest because there was a point that I didn't care about my life anymore because, you know, thinking about family members and entire family, you know, suffering from daily pain and and atrocities and, and, and trauma and in brutalization. So, but my family says, no, if you could call me, you could get killed or it could put us in, in further in more danger. danger. Yeah. 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 And that's how do you, how do you maintain sanity on top of all that stuff? What was your, th- what was something that you were able to do? Was it faith? Was it just relying on the being around the guys? Like, how did you cope with, all that stress because for guys in that combat zone, they can call back home. They can call and, and video time or whatever, but everything's happening with relative within time and distance. Like you could really go out there and go see them if the enemy wasn't a factor. And, and I can only imagine the amount of stress and like, so yeah, like what were, how did you deal with that? How, how was that? Um, How'd you handle that, man? Like that is insane. You know, it was it was. I mean, uh, to be honest, it was hard, and it's still. I mean, you know, there are days that you know it hits it hits me hard when I mm-hmm. go back and think about those things. 
but you know, like the incredible support and the generosity that I received from friends, from brothers and sisters that I have served with. Yeah. And um, you know, one of the biggest um thing that I have done was to write my first book and to put, you know, those memories out, the things that we, you know, the things we had done in the combat. And that was the greatest thing that I have done to deal and cope with uh deal with trauma and in pain and suffering. But you know, it's not like it's not over. It's not done. You know, I still suffer from all of those. You know, yeah. Uh, I kind of blame myself for what happened to my family because you know I was the interpreter. But at the same time, and I'm so happy and so proud that I supported my brother and sisters in arms because they had to travel thousands and thousands of miles and in in, in in come to our country to 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 rebel to reconstruct uh, to help us you know stand on our own feet. And that's exactly what the American soldier, you know, what the U.S. military had done in our country. Because I remember the days where I was going to school, there was no building. Uh, the, no. the, the hop collapse or the demolished building that where I went to school. Uh, you know, I spent most of my time bouncing back and forth between Madrasa religious school and, and the actual yeah. school. There was no school. And, and then after a little while, you know, we had a nice building. That was uh, built by American soldiers, the unit called Reconstru- Provincial Reconstruction Team, or PRT. Yep. And that's oh, yeah. kind of like motivated me to become an interpreter because I really wanted to help. And that was the least I could do. So like, I think about those stuff that I had done, and I'm so proud of it. Uh, I've been doing, I know I suffer a lot, a lot, and I lost a lot. But at the same time, you know, you think about it, and you said those soldiers left their loved ones, their family. They, they left everybody here. They left the, 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 the luxury lives here in the state and they came all the way to Afghanistan to, to, to build our country, to help us with peace and prosperity and in create hope and in dream for good boys and girls. So I mean, yeah. like that is something that really helps me and kept me going because I, you know, I think that was the least I could do to translate and yeah. help. American, you know, the, the U.S. mission, uh, against the war and terror, you know, providing trans, you know, it's interpretation or mm-hmm. culture uh, advising. Yeah. And that's, that speaks volumes to, to the type of person you are, man. That, that, that is such an honorable thing to want the best for your country and see that, like, I'm struggling. I have my own family that's in pain my own family is struggling but i'm here for my country i'm here to try to make afghanistan better that is such a powerful statement and i know that's something that is shared across uh from every interpreter that i worked with uh, especially our soft interpreters like they they made no no um no effort to conceal that they, they wanted their country to become a better place to become a better place for not just them, but for their kids. And that's ultimately what we all wanted. And, uh, it's unfortunate that, um, it's not where it's at, but I, I, part of me does have that, that fool's hope that someday somehow like things still take a turn for the better and, and something comes out of this. Um, but how did your journey to the States begin? I, I mean, you're you're spending at this point how many years did you spend as an interpreter on the ground uh it was almost eight years uh yeah over seven eight years? years 
mm-hmm. and you shot in combat. <laughs> like yes, you, you've you've bled, sweat, blood, sweat, and tears have been have been spent in order to support our nation and support your own nation. And how did the journey to the states become? Like how how did that get started? So you know the I. The Congress passed a bill, I think they call it like Special Immigrant Visa. I think it started back in 2003, I believe. And that was uh, designed for people who supported American soldiers, particularly interpreters who put their lives at risk, who put their lives aligned on the line to help and support American soldiers overseas. So when I started working, the requirement was that you had to work for at least a year, then you're qualified to apply for Special Immigrant Visa. And I was uh, was already qualified for a special immigrant visa. With tons of letters, you know, like you have to go chain of command, or if you can get like as many yeah. letters as you can, you know, that will help your package. So I had, you know, I had letters from generals, I had letters, you know, from the whole like lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, and like you know, all the way to general. And uh, I, but you know, it, it still took almost seven years to. Finally, that I made it out of the country, and yeah. you know, it was, I was still talking to people. I was still in contact with people uh, here in the state who I, you know, work with in the past, and everybody was trying to help. And uh, some people, like in the government, say, "Like this dude needs to be out of there." You know, he yeah. did his time; he's still doing it. We, you know, we had to do something about this guy. So it finally happened in 2016. Uh, when my best friends, my brothers in arms, uh, Kevin Devine, uh, Pat Flanagan from 123rd, uh, second, uh, battle company, second platoon, 123rd airborne, uh, and Kevin Devine from 10th Mountain, uh, he says, we gotta do something. And also there was another, you know, some other government officials, including, like, you know, it's funny that I got email from the office of Chan, uh, the chief of staff of the military. Like, you know, from through my friends and say like, oh, they're helping you right now. And when I thought when I received that email, it only took a week and I was like, oh, yeah, you're out of there. So, yeah. But, you know, I had to wait for a little over seven years. Yeah. Which and, is uh, insane. It's it, like, let's think about this for the audience at home. Just put this in perspective. Uh, John is 15 when he starts this journey. A, a, a young boy. Working with soldiers in combat, and it takes almost eight years for the mechanisms to work all the way through, and for him to get approved to come to the United States. Like that is how you know, how good did that feel? <laughs> it was like I, you know, I like I was dreaming. I was still working, so I was working uh, for other government agencies or what they call it OGA. Mm-hmm. So I was working and uh, I checked my email. Uh, we don't have much, you know, like when I was working with them. So we're doing other stuff and we're having, you know, like regular MWR, like as you know, the military does. So, yeah. but we, you know, in our office, once in a while, we're able to check our emails. And I checked my email and I saw that email there. It says, you know, your, your paperwork, your, you know, you had to go to the embassy and had to do this medical uh you know, medical checkup and all of that, you know, that's what the embassy required meant to. And I was, I was, I couldn't believe it, to be honest. I couldn't believe it. And I broke in tears and I was so happy. 
And uh, I couldn't believe it was finally happening. And I thought, it's just a dream. It's not happening. I just kind of looked around and see if, like, <laughs> I'm not dreaming. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I was so happy. I was so excited to finally get out of there. But and then I learned that my sister was shot. So yeah. my, my, my paperwork got approved. My sister was shot. She was in the hospital. I wasn't able to see her. So it was like a mixed emotions, mixed feeling. But my family, you know, I was thinking about her. We thought, you know, she wouldn't make it. She lost tons of blood, you know, blood by the time she got to the hospital. So it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a good feeling. And at the same time, I was thinking about her because everything was happening to my family. Uh, you know, somehow in some ways that I would blame myself yeah. for it. But, you know, I still, I was still proud of it. My family was happy for everything. Uh, you know, that I was doing, you know, I was doing a part of my job. So it was a dream. I couldn't believe yeah. that it was finally happening after almost eight years to get out of the country. It was a dream that came true. I was so yeah. happy and I reached out to my buddies, you know, my, 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 my brothers in arms here in the state. We're still in contact, you know, Facebooking and, and I say like, dude, I don't know what happened to my body, but I just can't sleep. Like I'm up 24 seven now. <laughs> and like, I don't know what's going on. There must be something going on. You know, I have to go see a doctor or something. And one of them like, yeah, it's okay. You're just overexcited. And that's exactly what happens when you get overexcited about certain things. And then you yeah. just get tons of energy, you know. And that's exactly what happened to me. Like, <laughs> I was so excited. Like, oh, I'm coming, you know, I'm getting out of this country finally. Yeah. And, and when did you finally, um, depart from Afghanistan? And, uh, June, June 2016. And were you able to see your family one last time before you left? Or was it still, you had to just get out of country before, you know, situations got worse? Uh, I wasn't able to see my sister, but I stopped by the house. Uh, I didn't have a lot in the house because then you know, I grew up with military. I didn't have anything yeah. in the house, like <laughs> not my clothes or anything because I yeah. didn't have any of those. And I stopped by the house and I told them this was happening. And I wanted to stop by the hospital to see my sister, but it was pretty bad. It was a public hospital where my yeah. my sister um, had been hospitalized. And you never knew we could have walked in, you know. The front, yeah. door, you know, the front gate or the door of those hospitals. You know, you never knew. There were tons of stuff going on around the city. And there were a lot of bad guys. You never knew. So yeah. it was kind of risky. And it says, don't go over there. We, you know, we, we couldn't trust anybody. Her sister's there. She got shot. You know, it could be the same people around trying to find you. So I wasn't able to, you know, I wasn't able to see my sister for the uh, very last yeah. time. And uh, I stopped by for probably an hour. And then I left for Kabul. That's where I, my flight was scheduled. Yeah. From. And, uh, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a sad thing, you know, it was a sad thing yeah. my, you know, family and I thought I would never see them again and I had never, I never went back and I've been here since then. And um, a few months ago, I became a U.S. citizen and got my passport. So just like everything just, yeah. Heck yeah. Congratulations, brother. That's, thank you so much. That's huge. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah. That's a, that's a great feeling. Uh, yeah. It's, it's. Pro, you know, one of the proudest and one of the happiest day in memory in my life yep. uh, was the day that when I raised my right hand and swore to a citizen. Yeah, I will never forget. It is it is my home now, and um, it is my country. It is my yeah. home, and I'm proud to call myself African American, and 
yeah. I will always fight for this country, uh, as I had done in the past, and I will always do in the future if it requires, if it needs yeah. it. And, uh, and that's that's yeah, the amazing thing. Now. You've you've already fought for this nation. You've already <laughs> done it, and 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 that's such a, a beautiful testament to uh, your character, the person you are, the warrior uh, inside you. It, it's you. You deserve this more than anyone else. Every interpreter that went out there and fought with us and was there for us deserves this uh, this opportunity, this chance at the American dream. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing, but it's it's an amazing thing to have the opportunity, to have the chance to live it. And like, dude, you deserve this. You 100% deserve this, man. And I- Thank you. Thank I want to know- what it was like because now now you're you've made it through afghanistan now you're flying to a completely different world like how did that go where did you go like what was your reception like like what was this is like a new chapter finally no more war that we can we can close the book on that chapter now it's chapter five no war, yes. new country. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the reception was great. Um, you know, lots of my brothers and sisters in arms reach out, like, they wanted to join you for this day. And, you know, I was so happy. And I have, you know, I had incredible support. I had people from the community that they all nice. went with me. And uh, it was it was an incredible feeling. You know, I, I want, you know, I can't, I can't express it with words and I can't put it into words, but it was an incredible feeling and happiness. And, and I was, uh, you know, I became quite emotional. I cried a lot of it oh, yeah. because, you know, where my, where my, you know, where my journey started, like you mentioned, my first chapter of life and, you know, the, the, the second working as an interpreter in where I am right now. And I really do think, you know, it's, you know, all the time, like, is this really who I am? Like, you know, where I started and where I am right now, but you know. Yeah. Cause you, you have a unique perspective on the intimate knowledge of what it means to really, truly be up against a real fight, being up against a real formidable opponent that has control over your entire life, your entire country, your entire nation, everybody is suffering you more than anyone in this country have the power to explain what that truly is because right now there's there's a big monopoly on being able to say that oh i'm a victim i am being uh tormented i am being oppressed and nobody's saying like hey i i okay i agree maybe some things aren't good in your life but you are not oppressed <laughs> like you you're not being your your freedoms aren't being taken from you and not you're not being forced to live a life that you don't want to like and and we need your testaments we need your books we need everybody that has experienced that because that's a vital vital experience to understand what it's really like to wake up and see that oppression that real world of like oh shit like this is bad like I'm at 15 and I'm going to have to do something like nobody here in this country wakes up as a 15 year old and says, well, all right, got to go to war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. And, uh, I mean, all people know that, you know, who had been through this whole journey and, yeah. and, and, you know, and, 
and I was so happy. I was so I was so excited. And you know, think about like you know, like you know, going back and think about it. I started working. What I was only fifteen or younger than fifteen, and you know, now I'm here, way older than fifteen, and you know, become a youth citizen, and you know, and, and it's this incredible feeling. And sometimes a lot of people like, hey, you're so like, you're very, uh, you have very simple life. You you know, the way you talk about things. You know, we Americans or like we all, you know, or we that's not how we, you know, like grew up we are like not uh you know take you know taking things for granted and all of that yeah. and the blessings and and i said i'm so happy for you know i'm so grateful i'm so thankful and i'm so appreciative for everything that i have right now because yeah. back then i had none of those like you know where i grew up um uh, you know we struggled with everything you know we struggle with our daily life with everything you know we don't have food for Three meals a day. We don't like if we had food for breakfast, we don't have food for lunch. If we had it for lunch, we don't have it for dinner. We had to go to sleep with yeah. stomach, you know, with empty stomachs and crying all night. But there was nothing our parents could do about it because they don't have food them for themselves yeah. as well. And yeah. now, like you know, I'm so grateful for everything that I have, and I'm so happy for everything that I have. And uh, you know, the, the, not just you know, like the, the daily life and the materials, but the support, the generosity that that. Uh, that uh, you know that that the assistance, the help that come in, the energy, the compassion coming from you know people from all walks of life. You know my mm-hmm. brothers in our, you know my brother and sisters in arms, my veteran brothers in, in the entire community. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful feeling to know that you're you're part of something. You're part of a community that wants the best for you. That it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to come forward and say, hey. I need assistance. I'm like, yeah, we got you. That's a beautiful thing. And that is like the one thing that we all need to acknowledge and be grateful for because you don't have that everywhere. And, and and I've been to a lot of countries. I've been to a lot of places. And that sort of ho- hospitality and community is not common. <laughs> like, it's no. not common. <laughs> no. You know, it's like, you know, it's... Uh, we like back home or in Afghanistan, you know, we're, uh, the Afghans are very popular for hospitality. And you, you know, better than I tell you, I've been to that country and you meet a lot of local people. You meet a lot of, you know, the local population. So served you and, and made it feel mm-hmm. comfortable and made it feel home. But when I got to, you know, when I made it to the state and it was like, I was surprised. It was quite impressed, you know, by the, the, the hospitality, that the, the you yeah. know, the, the compassion, the love, the kindness, and the generosity that I received from community, it was incredible. And wherever I go, and I, you know, I see people smile. And if you ask for help, they would love to help you. Like, yeah. you know, they would love to support you. But like you mentioned, you know, you just need to ask for help. And, and, and you need a lot, like, you know, unlike here, you know, there are a lot of countries, they don't do that. And it could be yeah. like, awkward <laughs> or something, but we know. Yeah. yeah. I totally yeah, agree with you with that. <laughs> so where did you uh where did you finally choose to call home in the States? Where did you settle down at? So I used to live in Massachusetts on a small island, Marcus Vineyard. Uh with, Oh nice. I know, I know, I know. I spent I spent, yeah, I spent, I know, yeah. So I know I spent I spent a, I spent a couple of years there with my uh, brother and his family. I used to you know the very first people that I work with, but I have homes yeah. everywhere. Like this whole country, this is my biggest home. Yeah. You know, you can call it a biggest <laughs> home, but I have small Heck homes yeah. everywhere. Like yeah. I have brothers and sisters live 
across the country, if I decide yeah. to visit somewhere, I at least know a few or four people, you know, live yeah. with their families and say, like, you got to <laughs> come here, man. And yeah. you know, anywhere, you name it, and I will tell you why I know people there. I have, you know, yeah. you know I, that, I have, that is you know, a I true sign people. of a veteran. That's a true sign of a yeah. veteran. <laughs> so, <laughs> Everybody is always like, well, shit, man, come on through. It's like, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly like, everyone like, you got to come visit. You got to come visit. But uh, I'm residing in Oregon right now. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's my home. I call it home. But everyone yeah. is my home. I have so many families. I don't like <laughs> my own own or like biological yes. family or my blood blood family. People ask me if I have it. And they're surprised when I said, yeah, I have more than one family here. Like. No. You know, like where do you want to go? I have family there. Like it, it, no. that's how they feel about me too, and you know that's how much I miss it. That's how much I love them. You know, they're yeah. they're my families. Like wherever I go, I have one family to stay with. Yeah, uh, that's that's exactly that. That's how you know you're completely integrated in the veteran community because every everybody that you serve with. And the friendships and and the the familial bonds you make with everybody, it's like, yeah, man, I've I've got a brother in Texas and two in Tennessee and one in in Kentucky, and everybody's like, if they're civilians, it's like, what are you talking about? How many kids did your mom have? I was like, no, 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 no. I served with with Dave and I served with Paul in eighty second, and then uh, I served with, and it's like everybody that you're close with, you still feel like they're connected and they're part of your family. And that, that's like the, the one some that's something that's so unique to us as veterans, and, and you are a hundred percent part of that crew, a hundred percent part oh, of the veteran you. crew. You you have been there, you've been shot, you fought, and uh, yeah, like you you have to understand you're part of this family. This wider audience um, has to understand that, yeah, these guys and gals that were there with us through the thick of it, uh, they're, they're part of this whole community as well. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, uh, I had already had been to probably like 38 or 39 states so far. And that's nice. like, I had friends everywhere. I had family everywhere. <laughs> so if I wanted to go visit, like, yeah, I got a place in states. So I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. yeah so. That's awesome. Um, are you plugged in with any of the networks or resources for the uh, the recent um, uh, Afghan evacuees that came through uh, at the end of uh, the closing down of Afghanistan? Did you have uh, were you able to support this you know this new uh, emergence of Afghans coming in? Sort of like oh wow I'm established it's time for me to be be able to help my countrymen like how what was that like for you when you're watching the news and seeing everything that was going on in afghanistan uh it was a heartbreaking and it would be always heartbreaking yeah. it was pretty uh tra- traumatizing it was pretty chaotic you know you know it was hard it was it was very hard to see what was going on and what was happening and uh but it happened, so it was nothing yeah. I could do about it. But it was heartbreaking, yep. and it will it will remain heartbreaking. And and for uh, a lot of my friends, my brothers, that we reach out to each other and talk about it. So yeah. But yes, uh, I work for a nonprofit organization. Uh, I'm a cast worker, basically. I'm a cast manager. And that's awesome. Like, nonprofit, and that's my current job right now. Where we receive. Uh, uh, more than, I think it's more than 200 families, Afghans, 
that I'm helping them. And their journey started with me at the airport. That's where we, that's where I receive them. I go to the airport, you know, airport is a little, you know, like an hour and a half drive. Yeah. I mean, that's where we started. You know, that's where we, our journey started. And, uh, I help them pretty much with everything. You know, I go to the airport, uh, with tons of volunteers, you know, the beautiful community that we have around here, uh, uh-huh. in Oregon, in Oregon. And, uh, we go to the airport to provide a warm welcome and, and support. And we try, you know, I try to do my best to make them feel comfortable, to make them feel happy, uh, to make them somehow in some ways feel home because it, it had been a very traumatic journey for all of them because it was a sudden and a very abrupt, uh, you know, leaving. Uh, they didn't have yeah. much time. So that to leave everything behind. And I do everything that I can to help them, uh, integrate into, into, into our community or American yeah. community. And, you know, try help them, uh, with culture and, you know, work uh, cultures and, you know, other stuff that they need and, you know, help them with their kids and kids that they're going to school and, you know, with medical stuff. So there's a lot that needs to be done for those families. And, uh, I've been helping them with that and I'm so happy to be part of that mission. And, um, we, we have, we have been receiving the majority of Afghans, but we do, Received by the families from the Middle East, from, uh, Congo Republic, from Africa, from, uh, some other countries from South America. And mm-hmm. we've been helping all of them. And I'm so happy to be part of this mission and, and do my best to help them and, and see them smile and happy. Yeah. Uh, the sooner they get out of the, the airplane because the, you know, they're going through, uh, so they can have a shot at their own American dream. Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what I share with them. And I said, American dream. This is a land of opportunity. You guys might have heard, but it is. I can prove it. And that's where my journey started. And that's what, that's where I am right now. Uh, I'm a U.S. citizen. We're proud American. And you are going to be, you know, uh, just like me one day, helping other refugees come into this great nation, this great country. So. Yeah. That's, that's so powerful, man. I, I that is awesome. And what's the name of the nonprofit that you work for? Uh, it's called Salem for Refugees, or SFR. It's out in Oregon, in Salem, in the city of Salem. They call it Salem for Refugees. Awesome. I'm going to have to check them out and make sure we send uh, lots of viewers out there to help support uh, this organization because that's that's amazing that that is thank you that is yeah, like a full circle that. moment that that's being able to be there and i can't even i can't even imagine how powerful that is to to be there and welcoming that young 15 year old version of you as he's coming from afghanistan finally being able to say like hey you made it kid you made it a lot sooner yeah, than okay. me a little jealous, but you made it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's 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 a, that's a powerful feeling. Yeah, that's how yeah. I feel. You know, and that's that's a, that's an incredible feeling. And uh, we recently received uh, more than ten pilots uh, to fix wing and apply, uh, uh, other airplanes. She knows, and not she knows the Black Hawk. Afghan yeah. pilots that they recently resettled in, uh, in, in the U.S. and we're trying to help them to fly again here. We've been reaching out. So yeah, it's, it's happening. It is happening. And we've been talking to, uh, some flight schools and we got budget and everything for them. And they're going to be going to flight school here because 
there is yeah. shortages for pilots yeah. and for pilots and they're going to be flying here pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, SMW, uh, Afghans, uh, special mission wing, uh, any yes. soft guys listening, uh, those pilots will literally fly into anything and land wherever they need you. So yes, that gets my thumb thumbs up and approval. We need some more of those. That's like that. Those are the real cowboy pilots we need. I want to see those guys in the air. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is absolutely. Awesome. It's happening. It is happening. <laughs> like we got everything set up for them. The training, the paperwork, everything, the background check, everything. They're going through background check right now. And uh, we ended up, we managed to go to one of the flight schools here and we know we, we got everything uh, set up for them. So we're just waiting for them to, to start going to yeah. school soon. That's great, man. Um, I know as a child, your dream was to be a doctor or engineer. Are you, do you think you're going to, you know, go back? I mean, you're, you can do this now that now it's like, okay, you can do this. You can still be a doctor. Is it's that still something you're thinking about or is it, is it, uh, maybe the back burner? Uh, you know, it is, it's been a while and it's been a while, but, uh, the dream is still living inside of me. The dream is still there, uh, to yeah. be a medical doctor. Uh, my, uh, my parents and my mom, uh, have been suffering from unknown diseases for so long and mm-hmm. she couldn't move and she can't move around anymore. She can't walk. She suffered from arthritis and some other diseases. And I hope, and I hope I know I'm going to school as well. I hope she, you know, she will stay with us and she will be around the time that I finish my medical school and, you know, and then become her primary care doctor. She's not here with me. She's still back in Afghanistan. But, you know, that, the, the dream is still there. The dream is still there. Yeah. Uh, I know, you know, it's been a while getting old and you have to be like, you know, but the dream is still there and I'm, yeah. I'm chasing it. I'm chasing this dream and I hope <laughs> it will eventually work out for me. Yeah. Yeah. You've already... You've already done a lot more than statistics or anybody would have thought possible. You are an established American, a combat veteran, interpreter, and you're an author, man. Like you've you've been able to overcome a lot. So if I had to put money on anybody becoming a doctor, I'm putting my money on you. Um, before we wrap up, uh, what are the titles of your books? I know you've got one published already, and one that's about to be published. Yeah, so the one is scheduled to be published on the 15th of next month, uh, August 15th, you know, the first anniversary uh, of the Afghan war. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's why I wanted to get it out. And it's called Indispensable. Uh, that's the title of the book. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. That's my second. And the third is, uh, so, this is the third is almost like, but I'm going to wait on that for a little bit. It's just an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, a young woman, uh, in her journey, uh, it is about my, one of my sisters who I shot and, you know, it's about her, you know, her whole journey where she started yeah. and where she was born and, you know, the atrocities and, and, and everything yeah. that's been happening to women in that part of the world. So I'm excited about the third one too, but the second one is, uh, it's called indispensable and, uh, it's scheduled to be out on, uh, on the 15th. Awesome. And as you've heard from us already, the first book, Get the Turp Up Here. 
then you know why we named that because <laughs> oh yeah that's <laughs> the, that's the most that's the most iconic thing when i said that i'm like i could have just googled what anybody just just always yells get turp up here although to be fair it's probably followed with a lot of swear words and <laughs> if my <laughs> if my old platoon sergeant mac is listening it's like get a gut trip up here <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we like, yeah, I know, but my book, like, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, hey, you know, there's a lot of F word and the F yeah. bomb, and I'm like, yeah. well, that's not my language, but I grew up with military. That's what their language and that's how I packed it. I'm so sorry, but I promise I wouldn't use this language in my second book. <laughs> it will be surprised. It will be surprised. You know, there, I don't know, there's like, you know, <laughs> 70k words probably probably find 50 of them like with yeah. the f bomb that i use because that's how, that was it's a it's a unique experience uh and and it's it's just i grew up with and again that's just you you grow up a certain way in the military and those were the formative uh that was my f- most influential formative leader at the time and it was you know if you can't fit eight or nine f words in that sentence you need to try again. <laughs> That's absolutely. I mean, yeah, I know. I was, I'm still like, I, I, you know, I have to be very careful talking to people. I don't yeah. I was like, in the back of my head, like, don't, don't use it. Don't say that word. Don't even don't dare say to it. say that word. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this, you know. And it's time. Sometimes I get stuck with words if I don't use it. <laughs> I just now now I have it in my in my mind. Fifteen year old you just swearing up a storm, oh smoking a cigarette, <laughs> and some some platoon starting to be like, "What? What are you doing? Don't smoke!" <laughs> no, I still use it with my buddies, with my military buddies. I always do that. Like, use it. I can't forget about it. It was a good memory. I miss so many good memories with the F bomb. So you can't yeah. forget about it. You can't. It's a it's a powerful word, John. Thank you so much. Uh, I I am so happy to have had you on the show. I cannot wait. Um, I I'm probably going to ask you to come back on so we can review your book, man. Because that's on the fifteenth. That's like right around the corner. So indispensable on the fifteenth. Make sure you go to Amazon. uh, Buy it. Buy two copies. One for you. One for a friend. And then buy two more copies of. Get the turp up here and then keep those two copies for yourself because in a few years, the value of those is going to increase. And and you can trust me because I'm a financial advisor. I'm totally not. I'm just making that up. But <laughs> everything I say is the truth somehow. <laughs> Thanks for coming on yeah. the show, brother. I appreciate you. Uh, until next time. <laughs> until next time, brother.